I'm going to be a little bit repetitive from the announcements tonight, and uh, I, so bear with me if you would, please. But as I said, we, we took a trip on Friday, and we went to uh, this show called Jesus. And my wife had already been, and Catherine had already been. They went together earlier in the year. Somebody called them and said, we've got uh, uh, two tickets that we can't use. Would you like to meet us down there? So, the, so uh, they went together and uh, came back just raving about what an amazing show it was. And it's not, you know, I'm certainly aware of the entertainment element. I'm certainly aware of uh, all of that. Uh, that would cause us to say, oh, that's just, you know, that's just Broadway, that's just Hollywood kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm telling you, it's a very spiritual atmosphere. And I did not, I got a, I got a pretty sensitive uh, pop culture radar. And I did not get set off one time on Friday. It's just, I really sensed these are sincere Christians that know the Lord from production to the actors and love the Lord and the crowd that was there. Not that everybody in the crowd was saved, but I just got that sense of, of um, that the Lord is on this. And uh, let me say this, too, just so you know the power of this thing. This is a 2,000-seat a uh, theater in the middle of nowhere, and they sell out two shows a day every single day. And I, I, every single day that they run, I think they're closed on Mondays, and I, would, I don't know about Sundays, but I'm talking about every day that they run the show, two shows at least, and they sell out every time, weeks in advance. And uh, that's, just, that's just amazing. And um, so, anyhow, sat and watched the show. And uh, they, they draw you in. The, the better you know the Bible, the more you will enjoy the show. And they start out in Galilee, and it's just it's incredible. So by the time it was all over and we got back in the van and we were on our way back to the, to the motel uh, right away, I think it was Amy asked, you know, what was, the, what was the most, what stood out to you the most? What was the most powerful part of it? And uh, my first response was in answer to that question was when they were on the ship on on the sea of galilee and jesus rescued peter from the water and these men that had been with him for a long time now and i mean they had traveled with him they had gotten to know him and they had become a very personal close up and personal with him when he calmed the seas when they saw him walk on water They all fell to their face and said, you're the son of God. And that moment before that, they knew he was some sort of prophet. They knew he was a great teacher. They knew he was a miracle worker. But at that moment, the light came on for all of them. This is the son of God. And at that moment, that was the most powerful part of the the program. But the longer that time went on, There's something else that stood out to me far more powerfully. This is what has stuck with me. This is what has I pondered most of the day yesterday and most of the day today. And the truth is today as I was getting ready for church, I was excited about what I preached this morning because those were things God gave to me as I read my Bible. I was reading through Galatians. I was like, bang, that is good. I was excited about this morning's sermon. I got to tell you, I've been excited all really sobered is a better word uh, all day 
to get to this message right here. Because the thing that really captivated me ultimately was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They portrayed Jesus in Gethsemane in a light that I've never considered before. There he is. And of course, I've heard, I've heard this debate all my life. If you know your Bible, you, I think you know what debate I'm referring to. I've heard this debate all my life that when Jesus said, remove the cup, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I've heard preachers that I respect and admire come from both directions on this and say authoritatively and emphatically, one would say he was talking about, I don't want to go to Calvary because I don't want to be separated from you. And to be honest with you, that's, that's what I have preached many times, and that's the way I have leaned. But I've heard others preachers saying, I've never understood this, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan was coming on with severe temptation. Don't go to the cross. Don't do this. And to the point where Jesus' soul was in anguish. And when he said, Father, remove the cup, he was asking God to deliver him from death or temptation, either one, at the hands of Satan in the garden. To the point where I got the feeling by watching this portrayal, and of course I understand they have no authority, it's just a play. But as I'm thinking about Scripture and thinking about everything that I have pondered and everything I have read all these years, I came away with the impression that Jesus' greatest suffering may very well have been in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I know this, without a doubt, Jesus' greatest suffering was not physical. It was spiritual. And that's what it took for you and me to be saved. Now, We read a minute ago from Isaiah 53 and the statement that I, we repeated. He shall see the travail of his soul. I, I, for some reason, I keep skipping the word of there. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. I want you to look, and we're just going to leave it up there the rest of the message. That's how important I think it is, the definition of the word travail. To travail is to overcome great opposition in order to achieve a great result. It's a very specialized word. Travail is the marriage of suffering and success. A lot of people suffer who do not travail. A lot of people succeed who do not travail. But when you bring suffering and success together, that's when you have travailed.
okay? Uh, somebody suffers because they've been negligent or they suffer just because somebody is mistreating them. That is not necessarily travailing. It may be suffering. It may be very real suffering. But they're not going after anything. In order to to travail, you have to be in pursuit of something. And the something that you're in pursuit of requires you to face great difficulty and opposition. And you travail, you endure, as we talked about last week or so. And because you travail, because you endure that suffering, you get to the result. Uh, A lot of people suffer who do not necessarily travail. A lot of people succeed who have not travailed because they're succeeding in a cause that is not a worthy cause. Somebody, I don't know if it's happened yet, somebody is going to win that Powerball. And I heard the other day, again, I don't know, maybe somebody has won it now, maybe, you know, 10 somebodies have won it and they're splitting it. I don't have no idea. But I did hear probably Friday night, I guess, on the news that uh, it was up to a billion dollars. If one person won it, that they were going to win. God bless you. But um, let's suppose one person does win it. One person does win a billion dollars just because they guessed some numbers. And after taxes, they get to keep about $150 of it. They will have succeeded, but they will not have travailed. And by the way, that's what's wrong with the lottery and gambling is we're we're supposed to earn money, not win it. When we win it, it doesn't mean anything to us, and it destroys and controls us. But there's an example of how somebody either already has or will succeed, but they didn't travail to succeed. So suffering is a concept. Success is a concept. But when you suffer in order to plow through to success, especially in a righteous cause, that's what travail is. Travail is, of course, used and it's used throughout the Bible of a mother giving birth, overcoming death to bring life. I heard this statement when I was in Bible college, and I've never forgotten it, and it it has motivated me many times. In order for anything to have life, somebody must travail. Nobody's coming to Christ unless somebody travails. Now you say, well, pastor... Jesus already travailed for people to get saved. He did. He travailed for the salvation of every person of the, in the human race. But in order to get someone to Christ, somebody's got to travail for them. You know, this is a little bit of a side note, but going back to and this, is probably the last time I'll reference it, or maybe I don't know. But one of the things that did strike me about what we were watching the other night is these men who had lived day after day for months and maybe even over a year or more of Jesus' life, it took them that long to recognize this is the Son of God. What makes us think that the way everybody's going to get saved every time is through one first-time 
gospel presentation. Now, wait a second. I am soul winning all the way. I am into letting everybody know and giving them a clear presentation of the gospel. But what, what I think we need to be reminded of is it may have, t- hey, how many of you, it took you a while of hearing it and watching it in someone else's life and being introduced to it in this angle, this angle, until finally your eyes were open and you said, this is the son of God. And you got saved. And if, and by the way, Judas watched him for three years and never did get saved. So let's not get so, yeah, I witnessed him. He didn't get saved. You know, (laughs) let's not be so quick to think that our work is done or that nothing's going to happen because I I gave him the gospel. They didn't get saved. So let's not be so quick to give up on our, our loved ones that we're praying for. Let's not be so quick to give up on our family members, our coworkers, our friends. And I don't mean hound them. I don't think that that's what God wants us to do is to hound them. I just mean once they hear the gospel and maybe giving you a little bit of pushback, hey, hey, okay, now it's time to live it. Now it's time to let them see that Jesus is real through your life. When they open up the conversation or when the conversation is there, you remind them of the best. But I don't mean, all right, let's have a Bible study. I don't, I don't mean that that's probably the appropriate thing most of the time. You've given them the gospel. They've heard the gospel. And now every once in a while, maybe just a reminder of, well, the Bible does say the wage of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But I'm saying to you, don't get discouraged because they don't get saved the first time you witness to them. Jesus' disciples, it took them a while. It took a while for Peter when Jesus said, uh, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Thou art the the, uh, Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know what? Flesh and blood didn't, nobody, you don't believe that because somebody told you. My father, which is in heaven, told you. So in order for anything to have life, somebody must travail. I want us to park right there, but we've got to keep moving. Would you consider that? Would you consider whether or not you write down this definition? I want you to get it in your soul. I want you to understand it. To travail is to overcome great opposition in order to have a great result. Wednesday night in prayer meeting, we always, if you're not able to come Wednesday night, what we do Wednesday night is uh, we, we, we unite to pray for various things. And I seek the Lord on Tuesday or Wednesday. Lord, what would you have the church to pray for tonight? And I introduce those things to the church. Sometimes it's two things. Sometimes it's three things. And we pray as a group. And then people submit their personal, their individual requests. And we all pray for those. We get in groups and we pray for those individual requests. And prayer takes up at least half of our meeting on Wednesday night. This past Wednesday night, we prayed for one thing as a group. Now, we did it in three parts, but it was one request, and that was this. Help us to be good stewards of the people that you have entrusted to us. And just a little while before church, I sat down, I took down a card, and I started writing names of people who have just teenagers and adults, not children, teenagers and adults who have gotten saved in our church recently that have been in church within the last couple of weeks who are going hard after the Lord. And I just, top of my head. In fact, when I was up here leading prayer meeting, other names came to mind that I forgot about. 
But just in a quick, off the top of my head, writing down the names of people who had gotten saved in recent days, who had been in church within the last several weeks, and who were going towards the Lord, I wrote down 27 names. 27 names. The only way, first of all, the only way those people came to Christ, and number two, the only way that they're going to continue to grow in the Lord is if we travail. If we overcome great opposition in order to achieve a great result. Hey, what's got you discouraged about church right now? Don't say it out loud. Say, how do you know? Because I know church work, and I know Satan, and I know something's on your mind. What is it? You have to travail to overcome that if you're going to continue to serve the Lord. Last night, we had some things to do yesterday afternoon, Amy and I, we got back, we worked on some things, and Oh, I guess it was about 9 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock. I still had stuff to finish up here, and Amy said, all right, I've got to get some final supplies for, for tomorrow. So she went to Walmart or somewhere. 10 o'clock, my phone rang. And uh, Amy's picture was there. I answered. I, I knew this is not good news. Whatever, whatever's going on, it's not good news. And uh, so I answered the phone. And she said, "Hun, i I'm sorry. She said, I'm on the side of 84. And she said, the car's not moving. That's the car that we just bought two weeks ago. The car's not moving. I said, I'll get there as quick as I can. That was about 10 o'clock. I got there about 10.15 and pulled up behind her. And state police got there about, uh, we didn't call them, but, you know, one eventually came by and, um, and you know where she was? She was on that, if, you, if you're coming uh, the corner there where all the vultures hang out. And uh, so, like, you, you just got on exit 8, and you're coming around. The seven, route 7 goes this way, but you go left and, and around the corner. As soon as you get around the corner and there's that merge coming from, like, Home Depot, and uh, that's where it conked out. She got over to the right shoulder. That was not easy to do. And people are just absolute – people are absolutely flying around that corner up that hill – until the state trooper gets there. That was nice. So, so we sat there about a half an hour. The state trooper showed up. Uh, I'm calling all these 24-hour tow plates. Because I got in a car. It was, it's either the transmission or the clutch. It's, I mean, the engine's fine. But all the gears, nothing's happening. It's just, uh, I, I'm assuming the, the transmission is fried. Uh, and so I, um, I'm calling all these 24-hour tow places. We finally got a guy to come. And so we finally backed it into this spot down here at uh, about 11.30 last night, and uh, we'll have to deal with it tomorrow. I was leaving, and this has been the, this has been the year for that. I mean, can I, I just be honest with you? I, I just like, I don't want to say, I don't want to bring on anything. I just, I don't know how to say it, but it's, just, it's been the year for that, one after another after another. I'm walking out the door. Running out the door, and I was on the verge of complaining to God. And all of a sudden, you know what popped into my head was that image 
of Jesus in Gethsemane. And the the voice they had they had the creepiest voices of Satan just over and over again trying to tell him this is a mistake this is wrong you're making a fool of yourself don't do those kind of things and how I had considered travail to overcome great opposition in order to achieve a great result and I'm going out the door wanting to complain and thinking Lord how long does this list have to be of things that just knock me in the head with a baseball bat how how much longer did I was and I'm doing it now aren't I but I was I was so close to saying Lord and all of a sudden this thought came to me if Jesus had to travail to bring us to the father what makes me think that I can lead one person closer to him without having to travail I got in the car, and I'm, I'm racing over, and of course, I had to come back on the westbound lane, so I went over by Home Depot and got on the exit there, the entrance ramp there. And the whole way over, and of course, every slow poke was out last night, it could, you know, holding me back on my way, but um, I'm trying to get over there, and I just started reminding the Lord, we're on your team, Lord. And I don't usually chalk circumstances up to satanic opposition, but I got to tell you, last night it really felt like it. And I said, Lord, if this is the enemy, and I think it is, I'm with you. So if I got to walk, if I got to crawl, whatever I got to do, we're with you. We're with you. And I told him all the way, Lord, if this is to, to help the people that were on that list that I had with me on Wednesday night, We're with you. If this is to bring one more person to Jesus Christ, we're with you. If this is to help people to see you more clearly, we're with you. Wherever you're going, Lord, we are with you. Now, I'm just throwing out this challenge. We're almost done. i got three points. I'm going to share them quickly, but I just want to throw it out tonight. When it comes to travailing for souls... Are you in? Not with the church. Not with me. Are you in with God? Listen, I had 27 names the other night. If I had one name, we'd have to travail for that one person. And let me say, it would be worth it to travail for that one person. Now, what is your obstacle? I'll give you some examples, just Bible examples or Bible statements examples. Anyway, number one, travail in work. That's where Paul, Paul, by the way, in Galatians 4.19 said, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. But he used that word in several other places. He told the people of Thessalonica, When I came there, I did physical labor so that nobody would have to pay my way, lest I be chargeable unto any of you. And he uses the word travail. 
So he made tents by night, which was, that was his trade that he knew. And he taught the Bible and prayed by day. I travailed. That's what it takes. Can I tell you this? And I'm, I'm not any big time traveler. I, I do have the opportunity to interact with pastors enough. You know, you look at somebody like, like uh, Brother Charlie Clark. And if you don't know him, it's real easy to see him from a distance. If you go to the summit or you go to Omni Night and you see him up there and he's so energetic and excited. If you see him on social media and he's always in the middle of things, he's always happy, he's always excited. It's so easy to look at somebody like that and say, well, there's a little bit of a big shot there. We pulled in Friday or Thursday to go to, to sing and, and preach in chapel. And the big shot is working. Serving people. His wife, who is one of the keynote speakers in the ladies' conference next week, she's pushing a cart around, feeding salad and desserts to college students. Yeah, big shots. His 70-year-old mother is next door painting the girls' dormitories. Big shots. I'm saying, folks, there's no way around this thing. If we're going to bring people to Jesus Christ, it takes work. There is work to be done. And don't let yourself, don't let yourself fall prey to the temptation of when you're doing a job for the Lord and you're all alone and there's nobody there to help you. And Satan starts, see, nobody else cares. Why do you care? Why do you bother? Nobody else cares. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I've heard that in my ear many times. Why should you bother? Nobody, nobody else is. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're staying here to make sure this gets done right. Nobody else cares. Why should you? It takes work. In menial tasks in the Lord's work, be motivated by the fact that somebody has to do this work in order for people to come to Christ. Travail in work. Not only that, travail in prayer. Prayer is tedious sometimes. It's hard work. It's hard work to pray for someone faithfully. And not only faithfully, but passionately. You're bringing the same names to the Lord that you brought yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. And you're trying to bring those people before the Lord with passion And there's days where you say, God, I just don't feel like it today. But somebody's got to travail in prayer. For whom are you travailing in prayer? For whom are you going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't know if anybody else is calling out this person's name, but God, would you please work in their heart? God, would you please work in in their heart? Can I say, as I look back over my life, I am not anything special but I have to say there are some things that have happened in my life that I have no explanation for why as a teenager did I care when a lot of my peers that were also raised in Christian homes did not 
Why was it that I was coming to graduation and other guys my age, and we were talking about what are you going to do after you get out of high school, and I could not, they were talking about what I want to do, what I want to do, what I want to do, and everybody knew I was going to be a preacher in our Christian school. Joe, what do you th- why do you want to do that? And I can honestly say I've never thought about what I want to do. It's about what I'm supposed to do with my life. I can't imagine. Now, you say, wow, there's a big old pat on the back or your own back there. Don't break your arm, Pastor, patting yourself on the back. No, I really am not. I can't. I don't know how I've had, with all my faults and failures and weaknesses, how I've had such focus for the Lord my entire life, except... that I've had a mom and dad travailing in prayer for me. That I had grandparents travailing in prayer for me. That I had pastors travailing in prayer for me. And I'm telling you, there's a price to be paid if we want our kids to go after the Lord. There's a price to be paid if we want... New believers to go after the Lord. Travail in work, travail in prayer. And then what we talked about with Jesus here, and we're all done. Travail of soul. You know what's, what's amazing? The disciples didn't understand what was going on there at Gethsemane. They thought they were in for a physical fight. That's why when Peter finally woke up and he saw Judas's crew coming, he pulled out his sword and whacked off the guy's ear. And Jesus is going, you, you don't even get what this is about. This is not about a physical battle. This is about spiritual warfare, and I've already fought it while you were sleeping. Travail of soul. Can I tell you, after watching people stand true to the Lord in the ministry and other people get out of the ministry all my, all my life, most of the people that I've seen get out of the ministry didn't, didn't drop out over physical battles. Something about the physical battle, they found a way to dig deep and say, all right, let's do this thing. It's not the physical battles that gets people out of the ministry and out of serving the Lord. It's the travail of soul. Satan plants a seed in your mind And you won't let go of it. And it turns to bitterness. And you are consumed with self-centered thoughts. You are eaten up with pride, accusations, suspicions. I got to tell you, now, my close friends, praise the Lord, are all still in it. But I could give you a long list of people, names of people that I went to Bible college with that are sitting on the sidelines filled with criticism, bitterness, suspicion, accusation, blame. They didn't get out because of physical things. They quit serving the Lord because they didn't travail when it came to the mental and emotional things. And mental emotional, that's the essence of travail of soul. 
the mental and emotional struggles, they couldn't win. They wouldn't win because you win those on your knees and in the word. That's where most Christians who fall by the wayside, that's where they fall. The mental and emotional battles, they lose, they fail, they give up. It's not, somehow, it's not the physical. It's those soul battles, travail of soul. Travail in work, travail in prayer, travail of soul. We could go many other directions, but tonight I want to say to you again, to travail is to overcome great opposition in order to achieve a great result. Do we want to see God work in the life of one person? We've got to travail to do it. You've got to learn to overcome that temper of yours. You've got to travail. You've got to travail in your prayer life. You've got to travail in purity, in personal purity and holiness. You've got to travail. You've got to travail in overcoming your fears, overcoming your laziness, overcoming your desire for the world, letting go. You've got to travail in overcoming the little petty bickering that is so easy to do in a, in a Christian fellowship. We've got to travail. You've got to, I've got to travail. To overcome great opposition uh, in order to achieve a great result, in order for anything to have life, somebody must travail, and I want to end where we began. He shall see the travail of his soul. And shall be satisfied. Father I pray that you'd help us tonight. 